iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul, creator Vince Gilligan, and this evening's guest moderator, Josh Wolk of New York Magazine. Good evening. Hey, everybody. Well, uh, welcome, everybody. Actually, I'm just here for the Genius Bar time at uh, 7.45. Um, let me know when I'm up. <laughs> well, uh, I want to start talking about the show. It's interesting. When this show came out, there had been a bunch of shows like The Shield and The Sopranos after where it was all about sort of the bad guy who you grew begrudgingly to like as he became humanized. What's interesting about this show was it was about the guy you originally liked and then couldn't accept that he would not be somebody that you wouldn't like. Mm. No matter how much he slipped down that hill, you would rationalize for him, and, and you know, just as he was rationalizing for himself. And I'm wondering, for, for Vince, when you first came up with the idea for this show, I mean, how did, how did that concept kind of come to you? You know, I don't know where the idea came from. I, I know uh, I was talking to a buddy on the phone when it came to me, the idea of... of, uh, of it started off with uh, the idea of cooking crystal meth in the back of an RV, traveling around the Southwest. And uh, all of a sudden, this, this, as we were joking about it, as a writer buddy and myself, joking about what we're going to do after uh, you know, uh, the, uh, our writing careers dry up and blow away. And it was, yeah, let's cook crystal meth. But uh, uh, as we were joking about it, this character, this, this guy who is uh, very much a, a good law-abiding citizen who, who tries very hard to do the right thing and, and finds out he's dying, you know, that, that, I don't know, it just sort of popped into my head. It just sort of came to me one day. But I like the idea of a show about transformation. I like the idea of a show in which the protagonist, uh, played wonderfully by you, uh, starts off as a good guy, and then we gradually, uh, the, the short pitch to AMC, uh, the network that puts us on the air, the short pitch I pitched them originally was, we're going to take Mr. Chips and we're going to transform him into Scarface throughout the course of the uh, series. And then... Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's going to be it. So um, I don't know where it came from, but I, I like the idea of changing up what television usually does, which is usually to uh, protect the franchise at all costs and keep the characters sort of where they are in stasis uh, from the beginning of the, of the series on. And how did you sort of get your cast here? I mean, how did these two guys, uh, from both your perspective, because I, I know you guys, you had worked with Brian before, correct? Yeah, definitely. And uh, so had, did you have him in mind for the, for the lead? I definitely had Brian in mind. Um, I'd uh, been lucky enough to work with Brian here uh, about 10 years ago on the, uh, the X-Files. I, I was writing on that show, and we had an episode uh, uh, for which we needed a character. Uh, we had a character, we needed an actor uh, who is very sort of hateful and racist and awful and nasty. And <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and he's in, and he's trapped in a car with Agent Mulder, or rather, Agent Mulder's trapped in a car with him for the whole, the, pretty much the whole episode, the whole hour. So it, this was a, and uh, to boot, the guy had to be the actor who portrayed him had to evoke enough sympathy within the, within the audience, had to be, for lack of a better word, likable enough, despite all his terrible shortcomings, that you had to feel bad for this guy when he dies at the end of the hour. So this was, a, this was a hard bill to fill, and lots of really good actors came in and read for this role, uh, this X-Files thing. 
And uh, we were in trouble because a lot of them had the skills but didn't have the likability or had the likability and not the skills or the charisma to hold, hold, the, hold the stage, hold the screen with our TV star, David Duchovny, for an hour. And then one day, luckily, uh, Brian walked in and he just nailed it. We hired him in the room. Uh, and uh, I was just looking for the genius bar. <laughs> and I, I, I took a wrong turn. And uh, he was great. And then about, it was a year and a half later, he did Malcolm in the Middle. Right. And uh, when Malcolm in the Middle came on, I remember saying to myself, Jesus, I didn't know this guy could be funny. Because he was, all I knew, he could be scary and he could be dramatic. And uh, the funny part, I didn't even, you know, realize that he's, he's the whole deal. He can do it all. So. You know, I wanted to add just a, a little something to that. And, and this is the nuance that Vince brings to our show that he brought to that show. It could have been, and it would have been, under someone else's pen, that the character on, on X-Files be a nice guy. Therefore, the audience and David Duchovny would want to save this guy's life because he's a nice guy and they would cheer for him. But the, the real genius was to make him a real prick and anti-Semitic and just a miserable guy. So it gave the lead actor in that show the moral dilemma. Is he worth saving just because he's a human being? And, and that's, that was the genius of it. And that's what he brings to our show now. It's great. And what was his pitch to you when he first got in, in contact with you about Breaking Bad? No, you... I read the script. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, the, the, um, my agency sends, sends out scripts and, and with little synopsis of what, what's going quickly and what they're about. And uh, Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan, and the name sounded familiar. And I'm, I don't know. I read this one, it's going quickly. Okay. And uh, I read it all the way through without stopping. Now, some people might say, so? But you'd be amazed uh, the scripts that you read that are so pedestrian that you just, oh. You put it down, you go make a cup of tea, you come back, you read a little bit more, you go make a phone call, you come back, you finish it the next day, and you finally say, it's just the average, you know, hospital show with the guys, and the, you know, it's like, uh. But this went all the way through. I mean, the first page of the, ver of the pilot, first page, a pair of trousers flying against the brilliant blue sky, falling down, hits the ground, the RV rushes over it, inside a middle-aged man wearing a respirator and tidy-whitey underwear, drives <laughs> manically down the road, behind him, two dead bodies sloshing up and back in, in a sea of chemicals, another man slumped over on the seat with a respirator, I'm going, what the hell, what's going on? It, it totally got you from that first page what's going on, I have to find out how this came about, and you just keep zipping all the way to the end, and that's, that's Vince Gilligan. And at that point, were you also getting just a big stack of like Dopey Dad scripts? After yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, offers to do uh, Silly Dads, which, you know, if, in case I wanted to shoot myself in the foot, I would accept <laughs> it, but, but that's not, it's not what I was looking for, so it worked out. So, Aaron, how did you find, sort of, you obviously got the script yourself, and were yeah, you working yeah. on Big Love at the time? Um, I was working on Big Love. Um, I got this script. It was the first um, pilot I went out for that particular season, and same thing. I mean, I picked it up, read it straight through, and, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. Definitely the, the best pilot I have ever read. And I really honestly thought, to, in, my, to my, in my mind, like, there's no way that this is really going to make it on the air, because TV just doesn't have shows like this. I mean, you really have to search for 
like gritty independent films for stories like this. And uh, so I went in and I had worked with Melissa Bernstein before, one of our producers, on a short film years ago. And I actually worked on an episode of X-Files as well. And uh, Vince had asked me what episode it was and I said, Lord of the Flies. And he's like, oh my God, you played Sky Commander Winky. That was, that, no, that was, he goes, that was my nickname in college. I'm like, why was that your nickname in college? I thought it was brilliant, but um, all the stars were aligned and it just... Now, now Vince just uses that as a euphemism for his penis. <laughs> Sky Commander Winky, come in. <laughs> oh, that's just what I heard. I don't, I don't know if that's... Now, now, aside from the sort of the regular evolution of these characters, sort of plot-wise, I'm wondering if, like, from the beginning, from what you imagine these characters as at the beginning of this run, and what they've sort of evolved into, have there been any sort of change? Like, have the have the characters changed, in just in your envisioning of them from from the way you first went in this? Like, were there adjustments going in the first few episodes? I mean, how did how did these characters evolve more than? It was there a way that they evolved more than just the pure plot mechanics of it. Well, uh, you know, it, it, I always knew Walt, uh, Brian's character, would be in the midst of uh, an evolving sort of a... He'd be evolving from, from, from day one and, and, and episode one, but a, a good story uh, uh, to bring up at this point, I suppose, would be the fact that uh, I didn't foresee uh, Jesse's character being around past the end of uh, season one. I still don't. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to die. No, I, well, um, Jesse was supposed to die at the end of uh, season one in a, a brutal, brutal death. And uh, thank God, Vince changed his mind. But he, he's, yes, yes, thank you. Thank, I love that, look at that, Jesse's girl. I love you, I adore you. That's Mwah. good, I like that. Oh, I wish oh, I had man. Jesse's girl. You are amazing. Uh, no, uh, Jesse was supposed to die, and um, I had no idea about that going into the show, but shooting the first season, I think it was like the fifth or sixth episode, they were having uh, a meeting during, um, during lunch, all the, him and the writers, and I walk up to the table and say, like, you know, I wasn't gonna tell you this until the end of the season, but towards the last episode of the season, we were gonna kill your character off. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> and is that still happening? Uh, but then he told me, he's like, no, we, we kind of changed, uh, changed our minds once, uh, once the show got picked up. And it was like during the second episode. It was, it was honest to God, it was meant as a compliment. It was like... Oh, I know, and I take it as a compliment. And <laughs> it was, uh, you know, hey, guess what? We were going to kill you off, but you're so damn good. And the reason we're going to kill him off, not that we had anything against him from the get-go. It, uh, it was before I even met Aaron. The, the idea was to kill the character off just as a, uh, you know, in simple plot terms, it was just this engine uh, with which to make Walt, plot-wise, uh, feel even more guilty about this, you know, these bad decisions he's been making with his life. So that was the only reason for it. But uh, Aaron, of course, is, is so wonderful in the role that, uh, yeah, well, that was, a, that was a, meant to be a compliment. But no, it I know. kind of freaked you out a little bit. <laughs> no, he did freak me out. And the entire, entire second season, everyone was just messing with me. Like, you, you realize that, have you seen the next episode yet? I'm like, no. They're like, oh, never mind. I come up to him, give him a big hug, and say, man, it's been great. It's been great. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Oh, um, nothing, nothing. No, no, it's all right. Yeah. Well, we, we talked a little, we were talking a little bit before, like season two, it seemed to have been, it seemed, per, it seemed like it couldn't possibly not have been laid out in advance, just the way it was sort of bookended with this kind of constant foreshadowing of, of the, you know, the stuffed animal in the pool and everything. And I'm wondering how, how closely, 
like, did you know your end game the whole time? Was this all worked out in advance? We knew the end game for season two, definitely. We, we started off, if you've seen season two, it, it starts off with this uh, image of a, uh, a teddy bear in a pool. And, of course, that's the image that ends this, this season as well. So uh, that was really tricky to figure out. We, we, uh, we spent, the writers and I spent the first month in the writer's room banging our heads against the wall and trying to figure out. You know, we, we sort of knew we wanted to do this circular bookend sort of storytelling with season two. And uh, we, we, we figured it out. Uh, and it was brutally hard. We knew how the season was going to end, but we didn't know exactly how we were going to get from point A to point Z plot-wise. And uh, there were times uh, during the season last year where we would uh, we'd realize we'd already come miles down this road of we've got to we got to end this season with uh, with this thing that we've already promised visually, and we don't know how to get there from here. We're we're, we're screwed. But uh, luckily, we uh, we figured it out. And I now that we've done it once, I'm not sure I ever want to do it again because it was <laughs> it was very very hard. Did you have any sort of uh, sort of alleys you you nearly went down, but then realized then pulled back, like any kind of false starts? Well, we always knew we wanted to end the season the way we did with the uh, the the plane crash, and uh, but then we had to figure out the the mechanics of, of of that actually occurring. And we also knew that there'd be no reason to do it at all whatsoever if Walt wasn't uh, inadvertently responsible for it yeah. uh you know that whole butterfly effect kind of a kind of a plot uh so we knew the the in very broad strokes we knew the basic uh you know uh destinations we wanted to arrive at but getting there we went through a lot of different machinations and permutations and whatnot trying to you know uh, trying to figure out exactly you know what it is that causes the uh, the uh, air traffic controller uh, to to screw up on the job, and you know does he do it on purpose at one point? Does he you know there's a lot of different permutations you take as you as you as you go you know explore down a, a windy sort of a plot path such as this. But uh, I can't remember right now if there were any any particularly interesting ones. If we we didn't we didn't you know delve. I mean we had some crazy ideas, but I don't, none of them were stuck in my head that much. Now, did you guys? How how sort of clued in are you guys as to where the plot is going at any given moment? Not at all. No, no. Yeah, we're definitely no, just we, kept in the dark. And, and uh, I prefer it that way. Yeah. I, I think you would too. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, we totally trust him, and he's guiding the ship. And so, when we get a script, which we usually get about a, a week before we start shooting it, um, it's like opening a present. We we really don't know where it's going. It's so unpredictable. And then we'll do the same thing. It's like, where are you? I'm in page 17. You're not going to believe the first 17. Oh, my God. Okay, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. You know, and we're, and we're reading it in between shooting scenes from the previous episode. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's a lot of fun to be on a show that's so well written and, and produced. And I, I do want to take this time to, to recognize someone else on our team that uh, is such an important part of our show that establishes the look of our show. And that's our director of photography, Michael Slovis, who is right here in the first row. Yeah. Stand, up, Michael, stand, up. stand up, Michael. Stand up, Michael. Come on, say hello. Yeah. He is responsible hey. for the, the show. Turn around. Wave. Hey. I was looking around for him. I didn't realize he was right in the front row. Was, you beat me to it. This, this guy, this show looks so damn good. And it's because of this guy right here. It's just, it's, it's, uh, I'm just, I'm so thankful we have him because, uh, I mean, the show looks like a movie. It doesn't look like a movie. It looks like a really, really, really good movie every week. So not just any movie. So we're, 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 we're lucky to have you, man.
uh, well, the, uh, the the other thing about the show is just there are these scenes that the tension is just unbearable. Like I was just reading today, somebody said they were talking about the scene in Boogie Nights at the end with the with the firecracker at the end, and they, and they were talking about this is like that every week. You know, like you have to sort of stop the TV and just kind of shake shake it off a little bit. Whether it's the uh, the scene in the in the tweaker's apartment with the ATM machine or or the whole thing with Tio ringing the bell. I, I assume everybody here has seen all these things so I can speak in shorthand, but it's just you watch them and they're just agonizing to watch. And when you guys read the scripts, obviously you can see this is all laid out, but is it a different experience for you actually watching it when you see it uh, kind of put together? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But um, just like what Brian was saying, each of these scripts, they're just so unbelievably just raw and, uh, and powerful. Um, I mean, I was following Brian around towards the end of this season shooting, uh, when I got episode 12, I was just begging Brian. I just couldn't wait to hear his reaction. I'm like, where are you at? What page are you on? And he's like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And I'm literally just like, just waiting. And I'm like reading along with him. And I mean, this season this is so unbelievably, we just go to such a different level. I mean, the stakes are much higher uh, and it gets so much darker. I mean, it sounds impossible, but it, it, it truly goes to a very, very dark place, and it's beautiful, though. Well, one of the advantages that, that we have on our show is it's serialized, so we don't have to worry about wrapping up storylines at the end of the hour, like um, Law & Order would, for instance. So a, a, an inordinate amount of time is spent knowing that they have to wrap up each hour with the resolution of the crime, or, or so to speak. So fortunately, we don't have that. Uh, at the end of each episode, he, he answers a question or two, maybe, and then asks seven more. And then all of a sudden it opens back up. And, and I think that's why I, most people I talk to who, are, who love the show um, tell me that it's, it's very hard for them to watch one at a time, that they, would, they really would like to catalog them and watch two or three at a time. Fun way to, it's a fun Which way to see it. Which kind of bones us Nielsen-wise, but... but. Kind of bones. <laughs> <laughs> There's a look over the... the the president of AMC is over there going, oh, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> this is Charlie Collier, by the way. He's the president of AMC. He's yeah, the, Charlie. One of the gentlemen responsible for putting it on the air and having the courage to do so. That's true. Thank you. Well, uh, Vince, you've said that you really, you have a four, it's basically four years and out on this thing. Is that still true? No. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Charlie no, no. Just, <laughs> Charlie <Yeah>. just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have said uh, probably in an uh, uh, interview or two that uh, in my mind's eye from the get-go I pictured about four years. Uh, you know, it, it's a tough question to answer. Uh, there's a lot of factors. One factor is that, that we don't know season by season uh, uh, how long we have uh, because, you know, we're not, uh, I'm so glad to see all, all you folks here, but we're not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, we're not ER, we're not... You know, American Idol, we're not a show that is so widely viewed that it's a no-brainer that we'll get picked up from season to season. That's, you know, we, we sort of live year to year there. So that's one factor. You don't know how long you're going to have in advance. And then uh, the question is also how long should the story go? You don't want to, you know, the, the old thing your mom told you, you know, years ago, you, 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 wanna, you don't want to be the last person to leave a party. You want to, you know, want to leave folks wanting more. You want to... You know, you don't want to overstay your welcome, and and a lot of TV shows do, and I've been on some that have, and and it's it's through no uh, conscious effort to do that. It's just because you're having fun being on the show. You think you got more stories to tell, but do you really? Uh, uh, at least in the uh, opinions of the folks watching, and 
so it's a tricky it's a tricky uh, it's a tricky equation to uh, you know to try to figure out it's a tricky thing to answer how long should a show like this go and uh, you know it remains to be seen uh, how long we will get and how long we should go but uh, I tell you speaking of lost uh, I think you did you mention lost a little while ago no. Okay, that was the voice in my head. Uh, uh, but the show Lost, uh, really, you you love Lost. Don't I'm you? obsessed yeah. with Lost. Lost, they did a really smart thing on Lost. I am so impressed with uh, those folks. Uh, like a year and a half ago, whenever it was, two years ago, said this is when the show's going to end, and then the writers know how long to write to, and and uh, and it's not that easy to do. It's not it's not a it's not an easy uh, decision to make. Uh, that's why so so few shows do it but uh, for serialized shows that would be a good way to do it going forward to know exactly how long you have so you can write to that one perfect ending uh, hopefully and uh, it puts a lot more pressure on you though doesn't it? It does and it doesn't because uh, you know where you're going you know where your end date is uh, it, yeah it's put certain pressure on you but on the other hand uh, there's a uh, on the reverse of that is the pressure you might feel if Gee, what if season three was your last season? What if, you know, if you don't know where you're, you're headed and you have set out to, that's why most TV shows, it's not as much pressure because most shows, as I said earlier, are kind of uh, about protecting the franchise and maintaining the stasis of the character. I've been using this a lot lately. But, uh, you know, uh, Gunsmoke, Marshall Dillon is the same Marshall Dillon in, in season 20 as he is in season one. That's what TV does and does well, and that's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. You want... You know, you like Marshall Dillon, you invite him into your home every week, you, you know, you, as, by, by clicking on your TV set. And, uh, but with a show like this where you take a guy from point A and you take him all the way to point Z, it sort of behooves you to know where point Z is and at what point you should reach it. And so, you know, it's tricky that way. So. Do you have a point Z in mind? Yeah, in very rough, vague terms. I, I, I know where I want these characters to wind up. Uh, at least I think I do, but, but having said that, the joy and the terror of this show for three seasons now has been that, uh, you know, you think you know where something should go, and then you realize uh, you or some other writer, very often my other writers, uh, come up with something better, and you want to be flexible enough, you don't want to be inflexible, you want to you say, yeah, that's better than where I was headed, let's go that way instead, let's, let's uh, veer off and go that way, and which is exhilarating and terrifying to not have a roadmap, so to speak. Now, when you're thinking about point Z, you see Jesse maybe still alive? <laughs> He's going to make it at least through point M, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll take it. Well, that's when he gets a spinoff. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, before we're going to go and get some audience questions a second, but just before we do that, I thought maybe uh, you guys could give just a couple teasers as to you know, what people can look for in... Uh, season three like if you just sort of talk about your characters a little bit and just well i think um season one was about the decision that that walt made and and um his inexperience in that world and and venturing off into an area that he has no skill set for if season two then explored the ramifications of that decision and all the blowback that he was receiving and and confusion by that and to me, season three really deals with Walt and Jesse accepting their position and who they are. So for, for several months in the show, 
uh, I think Walt was using uh, the excuse of doing this for his family to hide behind. And I think by now he realizes he can't hide anymore, that he is indeed capable of these despicable acts, and he is coming to grips with the type of person that he is. And I think it's about acceptance. In fact, it's, it's written into that first episode here where, where Jesse starts off at the, uh, at the rehab center and starts to, to, start to create a, an opinion on himself. I mean, in Jesse, he uh, learns about just self-acceptance and, um, you know, no longer, like, running away from his problems and just facing them. And, you know, he kind of just accepts who he is and he realizes that he's, uh, he's the bad guy and um, he's going to face his own inner demons and all of us in the show have our own inner demons, too. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a practical reason that they're doing this because it got to a point where they know that in order to survive they need to think like criminals now. They can't be ignorant bystanders. There's too much danger in that. So they have to start accepting that this is a part of their, the fabric of themselves now. Great, well, um, uh, we've got some mics around the audience, I think. Does anybody have any uh, questions? Um, the blue shirt? Let's, let's start that again when he has the microphone. Sorry. Raise your hands. We'll come to you with the mic, folks. Uh, one thing that's really impressive about the show is the extras, like the people in Walt's gang, like Spooge, or when you go into the house to get it from the meth acts there. Where do you find the random drug act-looking people on the show? <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of something funny to say. Uh, they're... they're they really, uh, it's a combination of things. Uh, we have some excellent, excellent actors on this show, as, you know, starting with these two guys right here. Uh, two of the folks you just mentioned, uh, uh, Spooge and Mrs. Spooge. This is from our sixth episode <laughs> last season. Uh, they are just wonderful actors, both of them based out of Los Angeles. Uh, he is, uh, his name is, uh, I'm drawing a blank now, David Yuri, and uh, she is... Dale. Dale, Dale, yeah. Dale, and David. Da uh, David is uh, in real life uh, a scholar in Japanese. He speaks absolutely, <laughs> honest to God, absolutely fluent, perfect Japanese, uh, and uh, is also an artist, I believe. And 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 Dale is a wonderful actress who uh, you might have seen her on shows like um, uh, My Name Is Earl. Uh, really good makeup. Uh, with all the sores and pustules and, and scabies and whatnot, and uh, really really good actors. And uh, and then as far as extras go, the other half uh, the other the half of the answer is that uh, the best way to put it, I suppose, is that uh, the country we live in is full of real people. And sometimes you wouldn't know that uh, watching uh, television shows that are shot in and around Southern California, as as so many shows are. Uh, because there is a uh, there's a sort of ingrained uh, uh, long in business uh, casting extras casting companies that are based in Southern California that look for certain you know the old saying uh, straight out of Central Casting or whatever, but uh, a lot of TV shows are looking for a uh, a 15 percent better looking American than what you see in uh, you know in real life, and uh, we have uh, had a wonderful casting lady. Uh, extras casting lady uh, on our show uh, uh, who who does her casting out of Albuquerque and just finds just really interesting looking people 
and was very courageous. Uh, would walk right up to him on the street, gangbangers, uh, motorcycle uh, gang guys, guys who you, men and women who you know actually have lived the life we're portraying. And she was fearless about going up to them and just saying, hey, would you like to be on TV? And uh, she unfortunately passed away uh, from cancer uh, in December, um, I'm sorry, in January. And her name was Gwen Savage. She was a wonderful lady and uh, we miss her a lot. But uh, that's the short answer is, is uh, finding folks you know, keeping an eye toward who do you usually see on TV and then saying, this looks like the person we usually see on TV, why don't we go this way instead? Find someone who looks more like the kind of folks we see in this world in real life, so. And how do you find the parents who then say like, hey, can we use your small child to hang out with the Spooges and get screamed at and uh, live in squalor for a couple days? Those are actually two boys. Uh, there's a great uh, episode that uh, Aaron was so great in last season. Yeah, talk about the, that little boy. Uh, the, the episode's called Peekaboo, um, where we meet the, the Spooge family. And no, these, these two little boys are twins, just adorable kids. Um, they haven't really done much work, right? I don't think they'd ever been in anything. No. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just a... Honestly, it was kind of like a ter terrifying environment for these kids to jump into. Uh, one kid was very personable, like charismatic, and the other kid kind of just kept to himself, like really shy. Um, but it was terrifying um, because I would get hit in the head with like a, you know, a, a 40, like a beer bottle, and the kid would honestly just be so scared because this scary looking meth head woman is beating me up. And this kid, I think, really liked me. Um, but he's like, oh, my friend is getting beat up. This is not a good thing. I'm like, no, this is made out, it's like, it's sponge, it's not real, but um, they're just, yeah, great kids. So just a lot of saying to them, uh, this is make-believe. Yeah, this is make-believe, like talking to them, like even during takes, like it, when, you know, my, my uh, head is like, or my back's to the camera, um, I'm just like whispering at them, I'm like, okay, just... It's, just, it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be fine. Like, I'm not really hurt. Look over here, don't look in the camera. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A question here in the center. Hi guys, first I wanna say, this is probably the best show I've found since Mad Men, and uh, another AMC show. And uh, <laughs> the, the second, my, my question is that. <laughs> look at Charlie, he's so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All of them are great. AMC is great. All right, so uh, you know, as as a lot of people know, meth is like a huge epidemic in America right now, like especially suburban America. And so you kind of have to balance showing the audience what an epidemic it is with like the entertainment value. And I was wondering, do you guys put a focus on, you know, showing the audience what an epidemic it is, what a dangerous drug you are talking about here, and kind of how do you go about that? And like, is that is that a, is that a contention with AMC and the writers to be like, we need to at least educate our audience about this drug and, and so forth. Very good question, and, the, and the, uh, the short answer is we don't spend a lot of time uh, strategizing about that, uh, and, and that is to AMC's credit. Uh, most TV networks would, uh, would, would they'd want the meeting at the beginning of the season and, and you know, several times throughout the season, are we doing enough to say that we, the people putting on the show, are very much against meth. Are we doing enough to say, you know, it's it's bad stuff, and it's uh, you know, we're not glorifying it, we're not trying to advance its or promote its use. And I'm very, you know, it sounds like we're blowing smoke because the boss is here. And I, honestly, God, we're not. Uh, it, it, most networks would, 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 would uh, the way you are. Uh, 
these guys are great in that uh, they know the audience is smart enough to get that we're not in any way promoting or glorifying meth. And, and we, you know, but there's two sides to it. It's, uh, you know, we'll show the spooges and we'll have some fun with them. They I mean, we give them fun dialogue and we cast actors who have, who, or, who, who you know, have comic timing. But then uh, the, the one character will smash the other's head, you know, like a grapefruit with a with an, a stolen ATM machine, or you know, or we'll uh, we'll show we'll show what folks look like, their teeth and their and their faces and whatnot, what they look like when they're on meth, or we'll have a very harrowing, uh, like we did last at the end of last season, we'll have a very harrowing overdose scene uh, when Jesse's girlfriend overdoses on heroin. And uh, but you know, the other side to it is that, and and something that TV when it's being you know, correct doesn't often do is, uh, and, and AMC allows us to do this, and f for that I'm forever grateful, is that the the shame of it is, or, or the truth of it, or however you want to put it, but the truth of it is that drugs feel really good when you take them. It's not a good thing that they do because it, drugs are, you know, meth is really bad for you, but uh, to deny that it makes you feel really good would be t uh, dishonest. So, this is not the official position of AMC, or it's not. A... No, but then the question is: There's a lot of things in life that that make you feel good, but that are bad for you. So, you, if you're going to be uh, intellectually honest about it, you don't leave that portion out of the show. You don't. Uh, you don't leave that. Uh, that's that's it. You don't really. You don't leave that out, and uh, and you don't glorify it. Thusly, you just uh, you're more hopefully more truthful and giving a more well-rounded portrayal of it as a cultural phenomenon and as a, as a problem and as a bad thing and anyway good question though question back here to your left hi guys um, so it's sort of going along the lines with the last question what type of research did you do to try to be as authentic as possible as far as cooking of the map and Brian and Aaron how did you guys prepare for these roles as far as being very authentic as a tweaker? Thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, we definitely all have our you know, own process, but um, in terms of research for me, uh, you know, I never really went down this whole crazy drug world, and it's, 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 it's so tragic, but um, you just watched a lot of documentaries and um, and uh, it was addicted to that show, Intervention, and it's amazing what you can find online, um, YouTube. It's, it's crazy, I mean, I, you could literally type on YouTube, you know, person using heroin, um, and you, you see them sticking needles in their arm, and you watch how their, their voice pattern kind of slows down, and they just kind of nod off, and it's, it's, I mean, it's very, very, very helpful, but I mean, that's kind of like what, like my process was. So you get all your acting off of YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. Uh, I focused on two things. Uh, one was chemistry. Uh, so that when the series started, that was my foundation. That was what my character knew. So I, I followed around the head of uh, the chemistry department at USC, asking him endless questions, and just got back into understanding the philosophy of it and the, the jargon. Uh, the correct procedures and how to hold things and set things up and and actually I think I called I called production when I was there because he I showed him the script the pilot script and he said no that's not right we wouldn't do that we the Erlenmeyer flask wouldn't do that you know yeah. and so I called up and I said did you, did you hear this and he goes yeah let's change it what do we, you know? 
So we're really charlatans, uh, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and the other thing that I focused on was depression. Um, because that's where I felt he was. Uh, I was on Malcolm in the Middle, I, I felt comfortable only after I found out what my character Hal's emotional core was on that show. And that was fear for him. He was afraid of everything. And so a lot of comedy was able to come out of that. And I was searching and searching and searching for Walt's emotional core, and I couldn't find it. I kept looking in different areas and different uh, avenues, and I couldn't really place it until I realized, oh, wait a minute. He is so depressed, he doesn't even know where he is. He's so bottled up. And so I started looking just in depression, and I came up with this philosophy, and I have no basis of fact or, or research on that, just it's what, in the research I did is what seemed to me. That there are two basic manifestations of, in general, broad strokes. Two manifestations of depression. One is outwardly, where you're blaming everyone else for your position. You, you have, you're angry and, and it's all outward. And then there's uh, what I thought Walt was, and he went inward. And he became invisible to himself, to society. Uh, he gained weight, he lost desire to groom himself, he didn't care anymore, he was just putting one foot in front of the other. And I felt that's, it, that really registered to me, that he was depressed, that he was numb. And so I worked from that point of view, of the sense of numbness, almost apathetic. And, uh, and that seemed to work for me, to hold on to, and to ingest that. And that's, that's where I right came from. I didn't do any work on, on how to make crystal meth or cancer because I wanted to learn that as my character started learning that. But to answer that, that other question, the DEA supplied us with chemists uh, as consultants on our show and they taught us step by step how to make crystal meth. And we have a thriving side business going now if anyone would like to see me after the show. Or not. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me, uh, to follow up on that, how helpful the Drug Enforcement Administration's been to us ever since uh, the pilot, even before we were Breaking Bad, even when, before, uh, before anyone ever heard of us. They've been amazing, uh, amazingly helpful, because they, they kind of got it, too, uh, that, that we were not you know, glorifying this product or the people who make a living in it. But, uh, yeah, this uh, fellow, Victor Obrovnik, uh, flew in from Dallas and helped us out with the chemistry and, and a lot of DEA uh, uh, agents, special agents came and visited the set and helped us with the information about how the DEA operates and uh, yeah. Even, even for the art department to help us set up how a, a structure would go and how one, one process is done then it goes into the next and it goes into the next. So we wanted to be as authentic as we possibly could and, and they were invaluable with their help. Another question over here on your far right. Um, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you guys on a particular scene in the first season, which I think is one of the most depressing I've ever seen. It involves, uh, I think, Walt and Skyler in bed on Walt's birthday. And uh, that in particular oh, yeah. stands out to me uh, as something great from the first episode, which I guess a lot of people are going to see with these free cards they got. Second of all, I wanted to ask, um, the theme of unforeseen consequences and the connection between Walt and the airplane crash in the uh, third season, is that going to be 
Is Walt ever going to discover his link to that, or is that going to be more of a theme for the viewer to discover and think about? Well, you, you, you kind of got to wait and see. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, rest assured that we don't... Uh, I like the way you put that, uh, unintended consequences. And, and um, the other way I would put it is that nothing's ever forgotten on, uh, on Breaking Bad. We, uh, I always joke that uh, the writers and I use every part of the buffalo, as it were. We, everything that happens to these characters, big and little, uh, in their lives uh, thus far, we we visit and revisit and revisit again. Uh, and um, rest assured that the, the question you just asked me will be answered uh, actually in episode one of, of season three. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, to me, like, you know, you watch a TV show, and, and again, I, I've watched every TV, every episode of every TV show ever made. I mean, I grew up just watching TV right and left, and, and, I, and I love what TV does and what it does historically. But, but having watched so much TV, it seems to me the whole point of doing this job was, was to, to do something a little different, to do it, you know, to go about this as an experiment, you know, uh, in a sense, to, to try to take it in a little different direction. And what TV does historically is, you know, you're watching... Uh, some show and then the, and the, the, the detective star of the show, if it's a cop show, shoots a guy at the end of an episode. And then, uh, you know, even, you know, he's in the right and he kills a guy, bam, the guy goes down. You know, he feels a little bad about it and his uh, partner gives him a cup of coffee and then the next episode, it never happened. You know, there is no, it's stasis, as I said before. You keep your main characters in stasis. But in regards to this show, I mean, anything that Walt does, or, or Jesse, or, or Skyler, or, or Hank, or Marie, any of our characters, or Walt Jr., anything that happens, big or little, is fair game to be uh, reassessed and reevaluated and just simply brought back episode after episode. And sometimes you think we've forgotten about it if you watch, but long enough, you watch long enough, and boom, there it is again. You know, uh, these characters' past behaviors uh, come back again and again to haunt them, because that's the way, you know, the way it is in real life, so. But uh, the uh, short answer to your question is, uh, you got uh, however many hours, uh, 48 hours until uh, your question is answered, so. well, Was that the short answer? No, nah, that was, uh, the, the thing at the end was a short answer, the rest of it was the, the long-winded answer. We have a question to your left, back. Uh, hi, my question was more for Vince, and I was just wondering how your past work and, his, and uh, experience has helped you in creating Breaking Bad, like what you've carried over and what you've learned from, things like that. Uh, I, I learned everything I know about TV, uh, aside from what I've learned since I got this job. I learned every, everything I know about TV I learned from working seven years on the X-Files, which was, uh, after this job, uh, was the best job I ever had in TV. It was, it's, it's the second best job I've ever had, counting Breaking Bad, and it was a wonderful learning experience. It was like going to film school and yet being paid to attend. And uh, Chris Carter, the guy who created the X-Files, my boss on that show, was a wonderful boss because he, he expected us to take responsibility for our episodes. He expected us to... Uh, to basically be producers, even if we were only uh, staff writers. He expected us not just to write the episodes, but to, to sit in on the casting, sit in on the music playback and give notes on that, sit in on the editing, uh, go up to Vancouver in those early days and, and oversee, you know, or be there to answer questions for the director, stuff like that. So I learned to do that with my writers and, and try to make them producers as well. And, uh, and I also learned that uh, uh, this is a visual medium and stories that whenever possible should be told that way. In other words, uh, let's not have an actor, uh, uh, not have a character 
say what's on his or her mind, but instead, if we could possibly cut dialogue and let the actor portray what's on that character's mind with a look, or by saying the opposite of what they're really feeling, then it could be more like real life, and we can thus uh, utilize uh, the, the real visual aspects of this wonderful medium of, of motion pictures. I use that to say TV and film. So I learned that on the X-Files, and, and all that stuff I learned, I bring uh, to this job to this day, and I was, I was lucky to have that experience. This is uh, our time for one question, one last question here in the center. Uh, Vince, I just wanted to say first that you've been my favorite writer in television for years now, so thank you for all the great work that you've done. You did Unruh and Just Sweat, two of my favorite X-Files episodes ever, and uh, I was curious as to how many episodes you actually wrote for season three and if you'll be directing again anytime soon for Breaking Bad. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I, uh, I wrote, uh, my name is on uh, 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 two episodes. The first one uh, starts Sunday night and then the last one of the season. I also directed the last one, uh, episode 13 of this season. Uh, this man, uh, gentleman sitting right next to me, directed episode one. You're going to see a couple nights from now if you tune in. Did a hell of a job. It's your second episode as director. You directed the, this season opener and then last season's opener. And, uh, you know, I haven't directed since uh, uh, the pilot of Breaking Bad. So when I did uh, episode 13, which we wrapped back in January, you know, a month or a month and a half, two months ago, man, I was just like whipped. That's a tough job. It was completely different than directing the pilot. At the pilot, I had 15 and a half, 16 days to direct an hour of television. And on our show, we shoot uh, Breaking Bad in eight days flat. And, man, it is, it is rough. <laughs> it's like I had my ass handed to me, man. It was, I was, it was humbling. But uh, our wonderful director of photography runs a tight ship and uh, makes it doable in eight days. And uh, so, but, uh, yeah, that's the answer to that, I guess. Thank you, man. All right, well, uh, thank you very much. Thank you to all you guys, and I uh, really highly recommend it. Thank you for coming. And as the uh, objective moderator, having seen the pilot, I really advise you all to watch it day and date, because it really is a phenomenal beginning, and it makes you, makes you uh, just, it makes everything all right that the show is going on is just as good as it's been. So uh, thanks again to you guys, and uh, thanks everybody for coming. And thank all of you, too, for, for enjoying the show and telling people about it. We really appreciate it, and we, uh, we won't let you down. We're going to be around for a little while. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.